Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Getting ready to represent Christ to your world today. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Welcome back to the second hour of Mornings with Carmen. If you missed the first hour, I encourage you to go and grab the podcast at MyFaithRadio.com. We talked with Dr. Russell Moore from Christianity Today about public theology and what it looks like for us to be public-facing Christians in the world today. We also talked with author and pastor John Mark Comer about his brand new book, Live No Lies. So um, great conversations. Uh, I, I really commend to you um, the book. All right, so the headline that I am looking at this morning is related to House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Um, Let me just say that what happened in the House of Representatives in terms of the passage of the so-called Women's Health Production Act, or Protection Act, excuse me, Women's Health Protection Act, uh, a bill in Congress designed to create a statutory right for healthcare professionals to provide abortions. So what House Democrats are seeking to do here uh, is to undermine each state's ability to uh, regulate abortion. Uh, So House legislation H.R. 3755 would uh, codify, would make law um, Roe v. Wade. I mean, that's the best way to say it. So it would make a law that protects what the Supreme Court ruled in the Roe v. Wade decision of 1973. I mean, everybody can see what's going on here. Those who don't like particularly what's going on in Texas in relationship to restricting abortion um, at any point after there is a heartbeat. So, you know, roughly six weeks of gestation um, of a human being. Um, That's what's going on. So, you know, don't don't fool yourself into thinking that something else is going on here. That is what is going on. There is a a desire on the part of House Democrats in particular to be sure that Roe v. Wade, the access to abortion nationwide in the United States of America, becomes law. That's what they're seeking to do. Now, I don't believe this is ever going to pass the U.S. Senate, so it's not like I think this is a set our hair on fire kind of moment, but it's really important to recognize what's going on here. So on Thursday... The Archbishop of San Francisco denounced this piece of legislation as child sacrifice, uh, mindful of the fact that Nancy Pelosi lives in this bishop's, this archbishop's um, district. That's significant. And so then Nancy Pelosi has defended herself and this uh, abortion rights legislation um, denouncing the archbishop. So we get into a conversation here about authority and submission to authority, and we get into a conversation here about um, self-identifying or saying that you are a part of something, in this case, the Roman Catholic Church or the Roman Catholic faith, Christianity, um, and then actually doing things in your life that undermine some very basic principles and understandings of the faith. 
namely that God is the giver of life and that every life is precious, that every human life is created in the image of God and that life begins at conception. And so you say, well, I'm going to debate that fact. Okay, you can debate that fact, but at some point you have to submit to the reality that God is the giver of life. If you're a Christian um, and you don't believe that God's the one who gives life, then I, I have to ask the question, what would be the point of the incarnation? I mean, do you believe that Jesus was conceived in the womb of Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit, fully God and fully man? Um, And if not, then of what value is the crucifixion of Jesus upon the cross for the propitiation of our sins? Like, all of Christian theology falls apart if you don't actually believe that God made life, human life, and that human beings are made in his image and conceived as such, conceived as such. Not that at some point along the way we become human, but that we are human and that what it means to be human is that we are created in the image of the living God. Male and female, he created them. So uh, it gets down to a creation conversation. It gets down to a conversation about identity. Um, and and yes, it's being um, hashed out at the legislative level in the United States of America. Next up, we have Dr. Linda Mental. She and I are going to whoo, have a very interesting conversation about moms who intentionally make their kids sick. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Dr. Linda Mental is back. You know her from the Dr. Linda Mental show right here on the Faith Radio Network. You can also find her at drlindamental.com. Linda, welcome back. Hey, it's good to talk to you again. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you so much. So <laughs> let's talk about what just doesn't seem very motherly at all, and that is to act like our kids are sick in order to gain attention for ourselves. So what's going on here? And um and how should we think about it? Well, I was reading a really interesting case, Carmen. I think it, there was a case that where the sentencing was being revisited or they were looking at the sentencing of a mom. And it was a, a case of a mom with an eight-year-old who had, had taken her son to the hospital a, a total of 320 times and had 13 surgeries and had actually posted on Facebook that her son had cancer and was raising money for cancer for treatment and uh, even tried to get the physicians to do a lung transplant on her child. And you read this and you think, this is incredible, because uh, none of this was actually true. But she had this child in a wheelchair and thinking with oxygen and all kinds of stuff. And when the case finally got resolved and they um, cleared all the medical problems, this child is now doing well and out of a wheelchair and functioning. So you think, how is that possible? And people may know this um, by a term that's an older term called Munchausen by proxy. A lot of people know that old term. It's actually been renamed in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, which is the the Psychiatric uh, Diagnostic Manual. It's called factitious disorder imposed on another. But it's the it's the old Munchausen by proxy diagnosis. And you think, what in the world? Why would a mom do this? And it's because uh, she has a psychiatric illness. Um, now, 
it's interesting because the the psychiatry field kind of fights about this. Not everybody's in agreement that this is a psychiatric illness. Some people think it's just plain child abuse. Uh, so there's a little bit of controversial uh, thinking when it deals with this. But right now, it's considered a psychiatric diagnosis where the mom has some serious issues that she's imposing on her child. One thing that crosses my mind, Linda, is that um, people who do have sick children are really suffering and really need support. Mm -hmm. And part of what's going on here um, is the creation of questions in, you know, in people's minds, is that kid really sick? Like, this is part of, I think, the damage done. There's obviously horrific damage done to the child. Um, but I think there's damage done to whether or not we trust healthcare professionals. I mean, how in the world did we get to a place where a mom could uh, could say things that are um, counterindicated by everything that that science sees in a kid, and more than 300 visits and surgeries? And I mean, I just see there's a trust thing going on here too. Well, you, it's it's interesting. I, I've treated a few of these patients, not a lot over my years, but I have treated maybe a handful. And I actually know someone at present who I do believe has this disorder. Um, and, and so when you're looking at the person, they're very good at um, reporting symptoms. And what happens is often the physician goes down a trail because you hear things, you have to rule out things. You know, you have to figure out, is that really what's going on? And some, and so they're very good at this. Uh, so I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, place all the blame here on a doctor. This is a very sick person who is getting her identity, is getting the attention in her life through manufacturing medical concerns. And this is why it's considered a psychiatric diagnosis. And so this is a person who's person who's very broken and wounded and needs a lot of help. And just like people who are highly abusive in their families, they hurt their children, um, you know, by by emotionally abusing them, by sexually abusing them, and so kids are the victims a lot of times of adults who have very serious psychiatric problems, and it is hard because you you do wonder in that chain, you know, where did somebody not start to be suspicious? But a lot of times in the patients I had that were referred to me, they went to multiple doctors in multiple states Mm -hmm. and multiple places. Um, And now we have a better way of tracking some of those with something called the patient monitoring, but that's really for prescriptions, not for actual visits. So it is hard to understand, but I think the seriousness of this particular case, when I read it, this mom must be very, very ill to be doing this over and over and over. Yeah, the finding of one's identity in anything other than Christ um, is probably the bottom line uh, here um, as well. Well, All right. Hey, Linda. Yeah, an illness, finding identity and illness and the attention you get from medical professionals. That's a little that's really sad. Absolutely. All right, let's take a very brief break. And then when we come back, let's talk about another um, piece that you have posted at drlindamental.com um, on the treatment of resistant, de- treatment resist, mm-hmm. TMS for treatment resistant depression. You know, I'll get it eventually. All right, we're talking with Dr. Linda Mental. We'll be right back. All right, we're talking with Dr. Linda Mental. Um, We're going to turn now to a conversation about 
resistant depression and treatments for resistant depression. So, Linda, let's start there. What is re- what is resistant depression? I know I, I was telling Paul that you should say that three times real fast. because it was really <laughs> Not <hard>. this early. <laughs> right. Not this early. Well, you know, there's so many people who struggle with depression. I mean, it's like it's just such a common disorder for a, a number of people. And a lot of times people will respond to cognitive behavior therapy or certain types of therapies and or uh, maybe even in conjunction with that, um, some antidepressants. Those seem to work for about a third of people who have depression and uh, so do the therapies. So we have some really good approaches to depression, but there are just some people that have what we call treatment resistant depression, where it doesn't seem to be responding to an antidepressant. It's not responding to the type of therapies that we know are evidence-based and they actually work for people. Um, and so what what the, the field is doing is always looking, the medical field is always looking for what other options are there. Are there any other ways we can try to treat? And in 1985, there was this technology that was developed that has actually been used for these resistant types of depression called TMS or transcranial magnetic stimulation. And it's it's really interesting. Um, I've been to many offices. I don't have one in my office, but many of the offices that our med students are in, they have the machines. And it really seems for some people, it really seems to work and really help them get out of that resistant type of depression. So it's kind of an exciting uh, tool that can be used for people that have really struggled. Okay, two questions um, coming in from listeners. How is this different than old-fashioned electric shock therapy, and yeah. are there other disorders you think this is applicable to? Yeah, it's it's very it's different from ECT, which is what they're talking about, where the where you use um, that type, but that is also used for treatment resistant depression. This is the kind of thing where a metal coil is placed against the scalp, and then this alternate alternating current passes through the coil in order to generate this magnetic fields, and then. What happens is this magnetic current passes through the skull, creates this electric current, depolarizes the neurons in the area of the brain, which is called the cortex, so sort of more the surface area. And the procedure changes the activity in the brain regions and regulates your mood by stimulating those regions. So basically what it's doing, Carmen, is it's stimulating nerve cells in the brain. But the beauty of this treatment, it actually works quite well for a number of people. The beauty of this is there's no surgery, there's no anesthesia. When you go into ECT, you have to go into an OR, you have to have anesthesia. Um, There's no implantation of electrodes. And the side effects of this, you know, one of the concerns about the side effects of ECT is you have this temporary memory loss and sometimes even long term. Um, But the side effects of TMS are really, really minimal. Sometimes people say they get a little bit of a headache or they get a little scalp discomfort from the site of the stimulation, maybe a little tingling, twitching, you know, that kind of thing, a little lightheadedness. But you basically can have this procedure, wait a few minutes and then go drive your car and, and leave. So it's an amazing um, procedure. Now, it's primarily for depression, but we're looking at it for all kinds of things. One of the areas I've been reading about, I'm not real up on it yet, but we're looking at it for chronic pain. Um, We did talk about it a little bit in my book, Living Beyond Pain, and it's the, the research is being done. It shows some promising things there. And even cravings, 
for um, addiction. That would be an awesome use of this if it could really help. Because what happens in the brain, when you, even when you're sober from an addiction, your brain remembers the triggers and the cues. And so a lot of times people will be doing really well on their abstinence. They're, they're kind of cranking along and then they'll bypass a, an alley where they used to use, or they'll see something that reminds them of the cocaine that they snorted. And immediately the brain remembers. It's like a ghost memory in there. It just, it's like a flickering memory in the brain and it remembers and immediately they crave. And a lot of times that creates a relapse. So anything that we can do that really helps with cravings is another potential for the use of this technology. Hmm. That's fascinating. Yeah, it really is. And it's not that well known for people, but again, it's reserved. Now you, there's some caveats in using TMS. And I wrote those in the blog about, you know, there's some people that are not eligible for it. But the biggest one is if you have any history of seizure disorder, we don't want to be doing things uh, to your brain this way. And then, you know, if you have some type of a cochlear ear implant, so maybe you have hearing issues, um, electrical devices that are in that are implanted that you can't use the technology, but there there's some counterindications. But in general, if you've really been struggling with depression and you've you have to fail at least one antidepressant um, trial, you have to try something and have failed, and it usually for this to be recommended. But if you're one of those people listening and you've tried a number of, of antidepressants, you've been on you've been doing therapy, you've been working really hard on this, and you're not making any progress, I would talk talk to your physician and see if this is a possibility for you. Yeah, I think that equipping us to be well-informed when we go and talk with our doctor is one really, uh, it's just really a helpful um, gift that you bring to us. And so I just wanted to say thank you. I think that, I mean, it's intimidating to go to the doctor and sometimes it's intimidating to say to the doctor, hey, this isn't working for me. Um, because then I feel like I failed whatever it was that they were trying to do. I know, well, you that's, know that's my problem. You know, but Yeah, you know, Carmen, the problem is even with antidepressant treatment, it's really kind of a trial and error on the medications, trying to find one that works for people. And, you know, so many patients get discouraged by that. They try something, they don't really get the benefit and effect. Then you try something else. And a lot of it has to do with just your unique chemistry and biology. One of the things that that I always do is I ask the patient, is there anyone else in your family that struggles with depression? And are they on any antidepressant? And is it working for them? Because you share some biology with people in your family. So it's a frustrating when you're depressed and you're not functioning and you want to get your life back and you're really trying and you're praying and you're, you know, you're doing the things that you need to do spiritually and you're trying that, you know, you're working in your therapy and you're just not getting better. You need to be aware that there are some of these alternative treatments. So we're talking about TMS. There also is ECT and it's nothing like what people have seen in old movies. People don't twitch around and jerk. It's done very, um, very, you don't even notice it when you're in the OR and you see the procedure done. People aren't moving and, you know, jerking and all that kind of thing. There's also been a lot of information now on ketamine, which is a new drug also developed. It's not a new drug, but it's a new approach to this treatment-resisted depression. I'm still researching that. Um, There's a lot of issues with, we don't know a lot about long-term use of that, 
Um, so I'm, you know, just stay tuned. I wrote one brief article about it, but I'm, I'm also looking at the long-term data. But you have to know about these treatments in order to talk to your physician and say, hey, we've been doing this for a long time. Have you thought about TMS? Would I be a good candidate for that? And, uh, hmm. you know, hopefully with conversations with your physician, let them know if your treatments are not working because we've got lots of other options that we can do to help you get better. Mm. Dr. Linda Mental, as always, thank you so much. You guys can find Linda at the Dr. Linda Mental Show. You can also find her online at drlindamental.com. You might be looking for the TMS for treatment-resistant depression, which I've been practicing saying over and over again so that I would <laughs> be able to spit it out. All right, Linda, thanks so much. All right, great to be with you. Thanks. We're going to take a break for Breakpoint. My guess is that you have either had or know someone who has had a cancer diagnosis. So cancer awareness is actually pretty high. However, cancer and cancer treatment is an ever-evolving reality. And how we deal with cancer in our own bodies, in our families, in our communities of faith is really important. So Dr. Percy Cray is going to join us next from the Cancer Treatment Centers of America. We're going to talk about things that cancer can't do. We're also going to talk about equipping the church to provide spiritual resources to not only people with cancer, but their families as well. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Do you remember a time when, as a child, you got lost? You felt the paralyzing fear of looking around and failing to see the north star of your parents' strong presence. You were lost. This is Max Licato. These moments of lostness can leave a pit in your stomach and bring fear to your soul. What is even worse is coming to a point in life when we realize that we've lost our way as a human being. We're not sure why we are on this planet. We have no sense of our purpose. It is in these moments we look to God, the master storyteller, and discover that the best way to understand our story is to listen to His. As we understand God's story and where we fit within it, the haze begins to clear and our story begins to make sense. There's more to your story, my friend. This is Max Locato. All right, cancer is a part of life today. My guess is if your family is anything like mine, you have cancer um, in every generation that you can remember. September is Cancer Awareness Month for a number of cancers, childhood cancer, leukemia, ovarian and prostate cancers. We're all aware of cancer, and we all like to avoid it when it arrives as an unwelcome guest um, or an unwelcome intruder. How do we respond? Joining me now, Reverend Percy McRae. He works at the Cancer Treatment Centers of America. You can find them at cancercenter.com. Reverend McRae, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Hi, it's good to be here with you. Thank you so much. Um, I view what you do as such an essential part of a family's, an individual and a family's cancer experience. Talk a little bit about what you do as the director of faith-based programs at the Cancer Treatment Centers of America. Yes, I oversee all of the 
moving components of our spiritual faith-based programs uh, at Cancer Treatment Centers of America. Been with the organization now uh, 25 years. Uh, part of my duties and responsibilities uh, is that we have an outreach component that Cancer Treatment Centers of America facilitates. Uh, we train local churches, faith-based groups, on how to start cancer care ministries inside of their local churches free of charge. And then I also have a uh, podcast called Health, Hope, and Inspiration. Uh, we can be located at healthhopeinspiration.com, where we actually interview cancer patients, their caregivers, clinicians, doctors, to talk about, add a word, a sentence, or a paragraph to the cancer conversation with regard to how faith and spirituality with good clinical care potentially can bring about positive outcomes for those who are dealing with this disease. And so the whole idea of my work is to speak to the faith component from a clinical perspective and how the two can be amalgamated together where people can feel hopeful and inspired around the idea of fighting back against cancer and its negative effects. All right. I know that people who are listening right now are thinking to themselves, I want to know where to find all of that. So you're looking for um, the podcast at healthhopeandinspiration.com, healthhopeandinspiration.com. And if you're interested in more information about uh, the outreach to your church um, to help your own congregation develop a cancer care ministry, um, that is at ourjourneyofhope.com, ourjourneyofhope.com. Um, one of the things that you talk about are the things that cancer can't do. Um, why is it important to understand the things that cancer can't do and have those things in mind before we hear the word cancer in a diagnosis? Well, because cancer, as you mentioned in your opening uh, introduction, particularly prior to COVID, which has dominated the headlines medically, was considered the malady of our day. And as one patient who I supported many years ago said, that cancer is the only word that when you hear it being described to you directly uh, is the only word that you hear in loud, bold letters in your head. And in many cases, you don't hear anything else because of cancer's reputation. Uh, the good news here is, is that particularly over the last 30 years, uh, the death rate of cancer has gone and dropped uh, significantly by 31%. And so we are trying to reestablish a, a, a different perspective, and particularly from a faith-based perspective, that when we understand uh, the scriptures that tells us that in him being God and Christ, in him we live and in him we move, and in him we have our very being, it gives us some additional uh, arsenal and resources to allow us not to allow cancer to define who we are. Just because a person has cancer does not mean that cancer has to have them. Uh, I am a now two-year cancer survivor myself as of July of this year. And so I understand very uh, directly the impact of being told that you have cancer. And if there isn't some other things that are working within you, particularly from a faith-based perspective, to help change the narrative of who you are, uh, cancer can other, uh, ultimately dominate your thinking and your consciousness. And we want to change that narrative that at the end of the day, uh, Christ, the big C, uh, not cancer, is ultimately in charge and has the last word of every conversation. So, Reverend, um, Reverend McCray, I want to know, um, you know, Christians are good people. Like, you know, Christians don't get cancer, right? Wrong. Christians do get cancer. As a matter of fact, <laughs> Bad things happen to good people. 
uh, and you're talking to one of them. Again, I've worked in this field 20 plus years, and lo and behold, two years ago, I was diagnosed with early stage one colo uh, rectal cancer. And people ask me, how did you feel about that? And because of all of the time that I've spent with cancer patients, uh, I said, well, I guess it was my turn. Uh, the mm. fact of the matter is, the Word of God does not promise us that we would not have challenges or negative circumstances. But what the Word of God did tell us as believers is that we have an ever-present help that can help us in the time of trouble, uh, that we have someone who would stick closer than a brother, that with, all, with God all things are possible to him that believe. And so the narrative and the perception of thinking being a good person and being believer, being a believer would necessarily ward away bad things happening to us is just an erroneous misunderstanding of the scriptures. And the fact of the matter is uh, that believers are, are susceptible to the same things on planet Earth as anyone else. And so we need to be empowered from a faith perspective to understand that when uh, those scenarios do arise in our lives, we do have resources available to us from a faith perspective that will allow us to fight back and push through those negative circumstances. One of my favorite resources um, at your website is the Cancer Etiquette Conversation. And I think that so often um, we don't think in advance about what we're going to say, and then we say things that we regret saying. Um, and so maybe after a very brief break, we could come back and we could just talk a little bit about um, cancer etiquette, um, what to say, what not to say when when someone we know or love is diagnosed with cancer. And then I'd love to have a conversation with you about mindset, how we adopt, develop, and maintain the right mindset in the battle um, against cancer. Does that sound good? Absolutely. Let's do it. All right. Reverend Percy Cray is here from the Cancer Treatment Centers of America. We'll be right back. Reverend Percy Cray is here from the Cancer Treatment Centers of America. Um, Percy, brace yourself. Susan has just uh, texted in. We have a text line here on the show. Susan has just texted in, and she says, 20 years ago this month, I went to Cancer Treatment Center uh, of America in Zion, Illinois, for treatment of breast cancer. Pastor Percy was there. He influenced oh. me with hope. He took time. He visited with my husband and I. He is a wonderful person. I went to his church the day before my surgery. Um, how great to hear his voice again today. I wish I could hug him. Wow, that, that is overwhelming. Uh, my wife often tells me, thank you. It's so good to hear from you, dear. And I pray that you're continually doing well. And I appreciate those words. My wife always tells me, uh, because, you know, in the grind of the day-to-day -day activity of the work that I do now, 25 plus years, you know, you, you tend to lose sight of how many people you've actually touched and how long it's been. And uh, that is just another reminder of, of why I do and what I have done, because uh, it's about touching one person at a time and making a difference for the lives of those individuals. And I'm so grateful uh, for the privilege and the opportunity. And I tell people I've got the greatest job in the world, and I truly mean that. I love that you have found um, your calling in this and that you're just equipping so many others, equipping the church um, through our journey of hope and uh, equipping people every single day through your podcast, uh, Health, Hope, and Inspiration. You guys can find those at healthhopeandinspiration.com. You can also find the Equipping for Your Church to Develop a Cancer Care Ministry at ourjourneyofhope.com. 
Percy, let's talk about um, the keys to adopting, developing, and maintaining the right mindset in the midst of a cancer battle. Sure. Well, the Word of God tells us, first and foremost, that uh, we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, that we may be able to prove what is the perfect, good, and acceptable will of God. And the Bible talks quite a bit about uh, our mind, what's going on in our thinking. Guard your heart, which the word heart is synonymous with basically the inner consciousness of your thinking. So uh, out of it, you know, are all the issues flows, the issues of life. And so we have a lot of work to do, whether it's cancer related or not, with regard to the mental state and mindset that we possess. And so first and foremost, when we talk about cancer, the first thing that we need to address is that cancer Uh, In many cases, as I stated earlier, with regard to uh, a statistic from the American Cancer Society, number one, everyone is not dying from cancer. So we need to change this narrative and this perception. And as a matter of fact, there are more people living with cancer today than any any time ever before. Also, according to the American Cancer Society, 16.9 million people in the U.S. are currently living with cancer. Cancer is now being considered, in many cases, a chronic disease that can be managed. And so when we change the mental state of how we look at this uh, disease and potentially what it means to us is that uh, it's just like a lot of things. And it, it may be a bump in the road, a big bump for some people, but it doesn't mean that it has to stop our car. So we approach this with the disposition that uh, with with God, first of all, uh, we can do all things that are uh, that are possible to us. We can do all things for those who believe. And then the fact of the matter is we also need to change our mindset with regard to there is such advancement literally from a medical, clinical perspective of things that can be done with cancer today that we dare not talk about 10 years ago. You know, advanced genomic uh, therapy, as a, as a matter of fact, being able to look at Uh, the genetic makeup, individual genetic makeup of a particular cancer or tumor that may be unique specifically to you, just like your genes that then can be evaluated and treated specifically from a more precise perspective. We never had that conversation 10, 15, 20 years ago. So there are things with regard to our mental makeup that when we hear the word, uh, cancer should not be referred to as the big C. If we are believers at the end of the day, we have to make a determination, either Christ is the big C or cancer is the big C. So again, these are things from a mental makeup and perception of approaching this that does and will and can make a major difference with regard to our day-to-day approach and an overall journey, starting with the renewing of our mind predicated on the Word of God. Amen. Um, that's a, that's a quotable. Um, thank you. That Jesus is the big C Christ is the big C not cancer. That is huge. Um, I think that gets us into the identity conversation. So let's go over there for just a minute. Um, there, there is a very real and public temptation to allow cancer, um, to become a person's identity or worse, maybe to allow our child's cancer, our mom's cancer, our spouse's cancer to become our identity. Talk about identification with a cancer-fighting community or identification with Christ, but not the the temptation, not giving into the temptation to allow cancer to become our identity. Absolutely. Uh, One of the things that I've learned early on with uh, supporting cancer patients and now being a former cancer patient myself, 
is that cancer patients typically do not want to be identified by their cancer. Historically, a lot of cancer patients went into clinical environments and they felt that they were breast cancer in room 255 and that they felt that they their, their sense of uh, personalized identity, I'm a mom, I'm a dad, you know, uh, I have a career, et cetera, et cetera. What's important to, to note and to state here is First and foremost, our ideal identification comes from God and through God, and that we need to remind ourselves of certain dynamics that cancer really cannot touch or impact. As an example, cancer cannot steal our joy. It may impact our happiness, but it cannot steal our joy. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit, as many of us well know, and that is an internal supernatural force that can supersede anything that is happening around us, which is where we get the word happy from. It's based upon happenings. And so when we begin to, again, being fed by the Word of God, being supported in an environment, which is one of the reasons why the Our Journey of Hope Cancer Care Leadership Training Program is important, because typically when we are not in a correct environment where individuals are speaking life over us and, and encouraging us and allowing us to be supported through the life-giving, changing Word of God, because we don't know what to say, we don't know what to do. All of that can then crash in on one's consciousness and begin to define them. I, uh, my mom told me as I was growing up, anything that ultimately defines you will ultimately confine you. So that's another quotable you can use. And so we need to be redefined by the word of God. The Bible says that we are a new creature in Christ Jesus. So cancer can't steal that or take our identity of who we are. We are sons and daughters of the Most High God. We have access uh, to the very throne room of heaven. These are things that cancer cannot touch or define or give us an identity uh, toward. And we do not need anyone's permission to access those precious promises. I tell cancer patients every day, you do not need a doctor's script uh, to access the throne room of God. You have direct access to the throne of heaven, and you can go call upon the name of Jesus, and you can, the Bible says, the boldly come to the throne of grace in the time of trouble. So these are things that when we begin to rehearse, replay, and then uh, casting down every uh, thought and every imagination that tries to exalt itself against the knowledge of God, we then give ourselves an opportunity to correctly pull out our ID card and tell cancer and any other circumstance, this is who I am today, despite what you are trying to tell me or what you are trying to dictate to me on this given day. I am the precious beloved of God. I am the apple of his eye. Uh, I'm a king's kid. And so those are things that will help to redefine and reshape the narrative that cancer in many cases is trying to steal and kill and destroy in our lives, but cannot be touched by the power of the Holy Spirit. Preach, brother. Man, thank you. I'm blessed. I'm, I am so blessed. I'm just going to echo what Susan had to say, and I wish I could hug you now, too. Um, oh. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That is, that is uh, Reverend Percy Cray. You can find him at the Cancer Treatment Centers of America. You can listen to his podcast at healthhopeandinspiration.com. You can get your church equipped to participate in ourjourneyofhope.com. At, at, at so there you go, tons of equipping resources. Um, Percy, thank you. You have blessed us. Um, blessings as you go forth 
in the work that God has called and particularly well-equipped you to do this day. What a blessing. Well, you're welcome. Thank you. And then it's Percy McCray, McCray, so that people yeah, see, can find. Yeah, see, I thought so. I McCrayed you once during this conversation, and then I de-McCrayed. <laughs> I, yeah, so, all right, there we go. Percy McCray. I got it. I'll, I'll, I'll get God myself bless. together. Thank you so God much. You well. too. You're welcome. God bless. You too. All right, we gotta, um, we gotta bring it uh, to a close here in just a moment. We'll be right back. All right, I was a little tongue-tied this morning. I apologize for that. Um, I hope you are prepared to have a blessed day and to go forth to be a blessing. Thank you for those of you who texted in this morning, praying for each and every one of you. Let's be lifting one another up in prayer today. People may be hearing um, diagnoses of cancer. If so, let's be prepared to be the ones who stand with them, beside them, for them, praying with them and for them, even when they can't pray uh, for themselves. Thank you for that testimony, um, Dragna, as well. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.